So we had a an old yellow school bus. It sat in this cage in our parking lot, <clears throat> and sun was going down, and the the bus was packed with a bunch of high school football players, and every one of them had their disc man. Most likely, they were all listening to either saliva, yes. stained, puddle of mud, yes. or disturbed. And if your headphones were off, you could you could hear it kind of muffled coming out of all their all their separate headphones. Um, everyone was absolutely dialed in on one focus point, which was to win the CIF championship. It was uh, <clears throat> well, California doesn't get that cold. But it was cold for a December night in California. And as the bus rolled over the hills, driving down Tierra Rajada from Simi Valley into Moore Park, it was a pretty dark night. And you could see the stadium lights just kind of break the night sky. And as soon as I saw it, I mean, just chills went through my body. That's the Coliseum. That's our proving ground. There ground. it is. There it is. And um, nobody expected us to be there. Um, up until then, we were in a division called Eight Man Large, which was, you know, three linemen, three skilled players, and a quarterback, and, you know, one other alternate player. Small, small game, not a lot of talent. Nobody went to play college football out of Eight Man Large. It just it didn't happen. This was our first year in 11-man football. Mm. And... <clears throat> We were also were the smallest school, even still in our division. Uh, we had about 200 kids in our school total. There was about 40 in my class. Um, so no one expected us to be there. For myself, I was 147 pounds and 16 years old. But I also wanted the weight of the game on my shoulders. Um, it had been like a breakout year for me where at any other school, I wouldn't have been given a chance, but, um, <clears throat> we get to the game and the, the seniors that were playing the year before an eight man had lost the, the championship to faith Baptist. Faith and I remember Baptist. how devastating it was for him. I didn't really understand it. I was just a freshman brought up and I was just like, yeah, they looked like they tried really hard and they're upset that they lost. I get that. I'm, I wish I could have done something. Oh, well. Well, this was my year. I could do something now. And all of the seniors were my sister's best friends. They were my friends. Um, and this was going to be their last game. They weren't ever going to play football again. My sister was never going to cheer again. And if I could do anything to avoid that pain that I saw the year before, I was going to do it. I wanted to help them earn their championship ring. We lost 14-7. to seven. We were, you know... We were disappointed, obviously. I mean, you could imagine the buzz during halftime when we were down 14-0. to zero. We're used to scoring 40 points a game. But anyway, um, that was their last game. There's nothing I could do about it. I was devastated. They were devastated. But um, Coach Mark Hoffler, who was a 30-year SWAT team member, pulled me and my best friend Clark aside. He goes, they're done. They can't do anything about it. You guys have two years left. He goes, that fire that's burning in you, it's going to keep burning. Let it. We just got, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. We just got so fired up. And uh, 
Clark had told me, he's like, write 12-14-02 on everything. Never forget this date. Apparently some quarterback from Florida did that after oh. a loss, and it wasn't Tebow, it was someone else. But, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but that's, that's really where the fire started. Um, and, and I was so affected by it that the, as soon as the soreness from the game went away, I went to 24-hour fitness just completely by myself. I remember working out so hard. I did so many curls. I think I was probably doing like 21s or, you know, 10 to ones or buddy curls or something. I couldn't straighten my arms for a week. It was bad. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was rhabdo, but it was bad. Straight to curls. But that's exactly what you need to do if you want to win football <laughs> games. <laughs> I didn't know any better. Um, the next year, we saw that same team in semifinals, Pasadena Poly. Like I'm not, I'm not kidding you when I say I, I was affected by that game. Anything the color orange, I smashed it. I hate it. One time, someone gave me orange Tic Tacs in the classroom, <laughs> and I smashed it over the table. It went everywhere. We had a substitute teacher. She thought there was something very wrong with me. Maybe there was. <laughs> But everyone else was on a full understanding, don't give Chad orange things, he'll break them. <laughs> so uh, that year, anyway, the, the first time I touched the ball, I got a concussion. I didn't tell anybody. The next time, I mean, later in the game, I broke my hand. I didn't tell anybody. Um, and I was, like, willing to die on the field. We lost 45-7. to seven. That, that mm -hmm. game didn't go well. Yeah. So we had one more year to make it right. And... And we won CIF my senior year. Like, it was just something that happened. The funny thing is, is I could hardly remember the details. Like, I remember the night. I remember where, I think I remember where it was. Um, and I remember the uh, anticipating this, like, overwhelming joy of finally accomplishing the goal that, for so long, like since I was a freshman, so close, miss, so close, miss, do something, get better, get better, get better, get better, so close, miss. And so I remember anticipating this like overwhelming joy where I like wouldn't be able to control myself, jumping around in circles. When the clock ticked to zero, when we won, there was more of a sense of mission accomplished, but there was also this, maybe call it an insidious emptiness. Hmm of, well, maybe it's just that this chapter <clears throat> is over, or maybe winning isn't actually everything it's cracked up to be. Maybe I was more interested in not losing <laughs> because of the pain of it. Um, but we're talking high school football, but what I do remember isn't the details of the night of winning. It's every step of the way to get there. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Spencer Nix. This is the BPR podcast, episode three. I'm here with my friend, esteemed colleague, mm. and wonderful human being in general, Charles Chad Cackert. Chad, welcome. Thank you for sharing that story. What an honor to be here. <laughs> what does that story mean to you? Like, why, why tell that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, up until, you know, maybe not too long ago, um, that to me was a, a pivotal time in my life. And it was the December 14th, 2002 game that we lost that was pivotal. I try to think about the avatar that maybe would have won that game. 
and maybe the complacency that a 16-year-old might have if he led his team to a CIF championship game, does that same guy go and train the way he did for the next season? Hmm. Does that same 147-pound 16-year-old become a 185-pound senior that just refused to get tackled? Hmm. Does that eventually lead to becoming a collegiate player which eventually leads to becoming a professional football player. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he does. I think that that loss kind of shaped my life. And, and it was the first time where I started to acknowledge the importance of failure. Um, because without failure, you learn so little. That's good, man. Today, we thought we'd get together and we would talk about the secret sauce of progress mm -hmm. uh because these episodes are are geared towards the coach in mind i think a common frustration that we all have is telling somebody to do something and then they don't do it mm -hmm. it's it's something as i talk to other coaches it's it's very prevalent across the board and I, and i would say there's probably even times for ourselves where we say yeah i'm i'm totally gonna do that and this could be fitness related, it could be elsewhere, and we don't do it. And I hear that story, and one of the things that jumps out to me is if we had taken away that experience, like you said, mm -hmm. would there be any motivation to go work out? Now, without that game, you would still want to be a good football player, and you mm -hmm. would still want to perform well, but would it had um, directed the course, would there have been a as strong of a attraction to go and train as it was without that experience? And I would say no. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I want to talk about with you, and, and we've had several conversations about this as we've been able to work together, is the, the necessity for uh, identity, uh, the necessity for purpose, roping in some of these concepts that that previously would feel like they're in the, the realm of, of self-help or they're more um, woo-woo or a little touchy-feely and mash them together into this world of strength conditioning that we live in. As we get into this, I want to hear certain experiences that you've had. I think you have a, a – we won't assume that anybody knows what it means to be a pro football player or to overcome injury, or like you've done recently, to to take years of training for football and pivot into something that's drastically different, like competitive exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, and then even some of the fun excursions you've had with triathlons and um, you know other things that really just on a whim, it's like, yeah, I, I can figure out how to reverse engineer that and and dabble in that world as well because i think for coaches there's this taboo that hey because we're potentially just training people for health or general physical preparedness that we're not allowed to to dip into the realms of sports specific training mm -hmm. and what we realize is that hey it's everything is uh this isn't a real word but like everything is figure outable mm -hmm. right there's, there isn't anything that we can't right. uh take and look at one, what's required for that particular event or particular sport or particular activity, and then 
back it into to really tangible steps that you could train for. Mm. And then to start with a, a way to, to see what the gap is for each individual person. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start with just the identity piece? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Charles? <clears throat> My recent experience with intentionally looking at identity has been that it is beneficial to envision and really think about the identity that you want, call it your ideal identity, compare that against your current identity, and instead of waiting for the opportunity to present itself for you to be tested and prove if you're going to be the ideal identity, you start to embody that right now. No reason to wait for it. Um, I talked about this with you not too long ago. This isn't sports related at all. But I'm 36. I would like to have a family at some point. And I, up to this point, haven't lived like a father or a husband would live. And I started to think maybe if I did live like that, the opportunity not only might present itself, but if and when it did, I'd be more prepared for it. I know there's still going to be surprises, but it's better than waiting to become a father to learn to be a father. It's better to embody what it is as an identity to be a responsible father so that when you become one, you are much more ahead of the game. And I think that's true for anything. And it's a counterintuitive principle. It's like, well, I can't say I'm this until everything on the exterior looks Mm -hmm. as if I'm that, right? Mm -hmm. The father example. Well, I'm not a father until I have a kid, but all of the, all of the preconditions for, for being that in a, in a perfect world have to be set and have to be ingrained before you're even there. Mm -hmm. And I think what most people don't do, especially in fitness, right? In, in fitness, how many times do we get somebody that comes in and we sit down with them and they're like, hey, you know, what do you want to accomplish? And this, the answer that we hear often is, and maybe not in these words, but I'll just paraphrase, hey, I don't want to be fat. Mm-hmm. I don't like where I'm at. I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And although running away from something can be very motivational, it's hard to have the same uh, narrative traction. I'll use that word again that you would when you've taken a second and to say, who is it that I want to become? Mm -hmm. And what are the things that that person does? Mm -hmm. And how can I start to do some of those things right now? I've had conversations with guys that, that, uh, and I think to a certain extent, all of us feel the imposter syndrome or feel like, man, how on earth could could I do this? And that is the answer. It's like, well, you have to stop, you have to think, what are all the things that this person does? Somebody that loves to exercise, what are all the things that they have over the years mm-hmm. assumed? Because exercise in and of itself is not fun. Yeah. We we have we have called it fun, but we have reappropriated that term be, because of this thing that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because we've attached it to, hey, when I do these things, it means that I am this person. But the process of putting, and I think you're really good at this, the process of putting uh, fingers on the keyboard or pin to the pad, 
and actually writing that out. Like, mm-hmm. like um, Jordan Peterson calls it a future authoring to actually take time to ask yourself, who is it that I want to become? What skills does this person possess? Mm-hmm. What activities does this person participate in? Who is the essence of this person? And I believe that it's absolutely necessary, this process of exercise. Mm-hmm. Because without it, it's just kind of boring. Yeah, It's just going through the motions. And mm-hmm. it is it is not... It's not appreciating the magnitude of what having these physical bodies and and being swept up in this adventure of who it is that you want to become mm-hmm. could be. And I think as coaches, we're doing our athletes a disservice when it's like, hey, so wh- why are you here? You want to lose weight? Okay. Uh, all right, just do these exercises and eat this food. Like, it's <laughs> so boring. Right. And, and ultimately, it comes back to that first question of it not – actually being effective, not, not actually, if you find that there's some resistance in your client, not doing the things that you have asked them to do, the first thing I would do is come back to this concept that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And my guess is, is that they haven't spent enough time, which seems unnecessary, but we would argue that it's absolutely paramount Mm -hmm. to actually being adherent Mm -hmm. to the boring stuff like doing curls at 24-hour fitness and and all those things. We talked about this not too long ago, but um, the next thing I think is to ask for a good reason why that would be their goal. Even if it is they're running away from something or running to something, if they're not attached to a reason, there's no stakes. And eventually they'll find themselves saying, what have I been making all these sacrifices for? And if they're not attached to it, well, I would say it's impressive that they got that far anyway to ask that question. Mm-hmm. But if someone comes in and says, I don't want to be fat, well, we need a good reason. We need to anchor that to something. If it's not anchored to anything, they're not going to make any sacrifices for mm-hmm. it. And that's the the behavior protocol. It's actually when you're attached to a deeper meaning, it's not a sacrifice at all. It's just a necessary step. Yeah, and I would say that you could boil down everything we do to behavior modification. Mm-hmm. And if there isn't any type of true purpose mm-hmm. behind that mm-hmm. man, it's really hard to get people to to do what you what you want them to do yeah so i think that that's a really integral component i keep coming back to that because without identity we we have no common ground for client and coach to look ahead and say hey so remember this is what we said that we want to be all about whether Mm -hmm. it's a father or you know a better boss or a better granddad or whatever Mm -hmm. but I think even that uh is pretty common knowledge I would say that in 2023 like yeah for most people that are really trying to make an impact in others lives especially through health and fitness what we just said isn't a a novel concept Mm -hmm. where I think we fall short is that with a lack of creativity, we don't consider what's going to be very easy for us to adhere to. And so I think the next part of this conversation is aptitude. The next part of the conversation is giftedness. Now, to put a definition of that word, it doesn't mean uh, world-class capacity. Mm-hmm. 
if we're looking ahead in in authoring a future version of ourselves to identify purpose and identity, then this process of correlating what you already love, correlating what comes easy to you, correlating some of these characteristics that as you look back in previous chapters of your life have been ingredients that continue to come up when you put those together you can go from something that that seems very big and audacious Mm -hmm. and you can start to reduce it down into particular things that you could train for i'll give you an example in the first episode i i just casually mentioned you know bobsled yeah and since we released that episode i've had friends that i've known for years they're like hey man you never told me that you did that. <laughs> and some of that is, uh, you know, I'm, with the podcast, I'm, I'm changing the privacy settings that I have, right? So, right. so I, I want to be more vocal about these experiences and, and, you know, adventures that I've had. But along the lines of aptitude, a very quick story there is that I, I caught wind that uh, Bobsled has an open tryout. Mm-hmm. And so looking at the criteria for that tryout, having done CrossFit for so many years, there were a few things through constantly varied functional movements I realized, hey, I have an aptitude for. Mm-hmm. Not saying world-class, but I like to do it. Mm-hmm. It, didn't, it didn't come as something that was a lot of work for me. It's like, man, if this comes up, it's a great day. I just mm-hmm. like doing it. Those things were a power clean a back squat, very, very, very short duration, high power workouts. Mm -hmm. And anything that had a component of um, like a ballistic component in nature. Mm -hmm. I look at the Bossa combine and it's a power clean. It's Mm -hmm. a back squat. Mm -hmm. It's a 30 and 60 meter sprint, Mm -hmm. shot toss, broad jump. And so the only thought process I had going in, it wasn't like, I want to become a bobsledder. It was yeah. like, hey, this looks like a fun thing to do. Yeah. And that component of fun only had to do with, in the past, what I had found was uh, something I naturally gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. And so this whole journey of um, dabbling in a sport that, let's be honest, I wasn't great at. Right, we know some of the same people that were actually really great bobsledders. Mm-hmm. I kind of snuck in there by the skin of my teeth, and that's a story for another time. But I, I shared that transition into the sport because if I hadn't have appreciated where I had come from, mm-hmm. and as I got further and further into fitness, what I enjoyed doing, I would have never, I would have never connected the dots that that's something that I should have pursued. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on aptitude, on giftedness? Well, I think, I think what makes that story worth telling and that um, venture worth pursuing is just that level of uncertainty mm. combined with a level of confidence in something. So you have these two things kind of colliding together where it's like, I'm really good at this, That's but good. I've never done this. That's good. 
So let's combine the two. And I don't know if it ever crossed your mind that you would eventually have to go down an ice slope <laughs> in well, a metal out, tube. I hated that part. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Here comes that. Um, but you have a story to tell because you took something that you had confidence in and went into something you were completely unprepared for as far as the specific skill set. And now you have a chapter in your life that you can reflect on for more than just saying, I did this, but I have lessons I learned from this. Mm -hmm. And so what I hear you say is that it wasn't just that it came easy to me, but I took some of those things and I pursued something that was a new experience, mm -hmm. which is to say, much like going from sophomore year to senior year, the stakes had increased. Mm -hmm. And so as we're, we're thinking from a, a facilitating standpoint and, and coaching clients on much greater uh, narrative of traction and purpose, it seems like some things that we've already covered are, who is it that you want to be? look back in your life and determine, and this could be even unfitness related. Uh, hey, when I look at these stories in my life where not things I've accomplished, but, but things I decided to do, here are some common characteristics that keep popping up. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to make shit up. I was always with animals. I oh, mean, every, Every story I have of things that I experienced that I really love, I was with a group of people. Mm -hmm. Or I was always by myself. It was always like this solo endeavor where I had mm -hmm. to be with my thoughts. Or he was always outside. Or, uh, man, it always had to do with water. Mm -hmm. These components and these characteristics, as we look back and we write these stories out and we look for the pattern, it can, it can start to do this thing that we're talking about. And then I think the next step, which you, you've alluded to, is to really raise the stakes. Mm -hmm. And to really raise the stakes in fitness is not to say, hey, I'm going to play the long game and I'm going to train to not be a pile of shit when I'm 80, but you have to, you have to fabricate. You have to voluntarily put yourself into these real tangible situations that are not necessary mm -hmm but are absolutely paramount to move the story of who you said you want to be forward mm -hmm. because without it, it's just an idea. Right. And so we're trying to take something that is cognitive and it is psychological and put it into reality. And so this third step we've talked about a lot and we call it a Masogi. Mm -hmm. Can you tell our listeners and our viewers what that is. I'll do my best. Okay. So the ancient concept was, I believe, Japanese, mm. and it was this kind of spiritual ritual where they would go and put themselves under a heavy and freezing waterfall and yell these, like, Buddhist chants. And it was such a harsh experience that after it was over, they felt completely refreshed and had a new outlook on life. That's as much as I can say from that, and I might be wrong, but that's what I understand. Um, the, the modern concept, um, I don't remember the guy's name, but there was a, a trainer who worked with a lot of these like really um, publicly high-profile CEOs, athletes, whatever, 
And he took that simple concept of going through something that made you reflect on your life so that you saw things a little more clearly or differently. And he came up with just these nonsensical adventures. Um, there was a group of five or six guys that went off the coast of, I think it was a, it was an island off of California, and they were in eight feet of water, and their goal was to move a 50-pound rock five kilometers underwater, mm-hmm. taking turns. So you'd have to take a breath, dive down eight feet, walk as far as you could with this rock until you needed air, you'd come up, and the next guy would go. And it took them probably the better part of half of a day, but they did it. The thing is, though, they didn't know they would do it. Mm. They came up with someone like, we do not know the outcome. Mm-hmm. And there's no materialistic um, like performance metric for this. There's no like, I did this. Everybody knows about it. It was like, hey, let's actually just put ourselves through something for the sake of ourselves and our story and our improvement and progress. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter if it was playing a football game or a fitness competition or seeing your body composition go down or, you know, meditating for 15 hours straight. But anything that you put yourself into where you're uncertain of the outcome will have a monumental impact on you. Yeah. And so we've taken this concept and we've we've embedded it into what we do. And we find that if we can go through this process identity, aptitude, and then as arbitrary as it might be, have a defined end date that we are striving towards based on these things that are totally in line with what you want your life to be about. It creates this completely different experience and journey for the people that we're training. And so said this way, um, and I'll use some examples We've had someone decide with this process, hey, I really want to compete in powerlifting. And so we set a date. The performance of that is unknown. The performance of that doesn't really even matter. Mm -hmm. As a response, this person loses 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. Now imagine if we took that and we flipped it and we said, hey, man, you're 100 pounds overweight. Let's, let's really focus on losing 100 pounds. I would argue that it's not quite as romantic of a process. Mm. And, and because we're not swept up in this story, it just feels like there isn't a real reason except not being fat to do it. Mm-hmm. I think of guys we've trained that come in, they have a very recent ACL repair. Mm-hmm. Let's push that aside. Who do you want to be? What do you have an aptitude for? Hey, I want to go climb the Swiss Alps. They do that. Mm-hmm. As a result, their knee doesn't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. They can dunk a basketball again. Yeah. Think of somebody that you know is doing all of these things in perpetuity over and over and over again. Are we concerned about their fitness? I would say no. Mm-hmm. And so, like Simon Sinek's book, it uh, you know as it starts with why or whatever. It's like when he gives that concentric circles of hey we're apple we're all about you know disrupting the status quo and it just so happens that we make computers Mm -hmm. like that's what we're trying to do with Mm -hmm. fitness yeah hey we're we're in the business of of telling a really great narrative 
where fitness has to be a part of it. And it just so happens that these people are in great shape. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the whole fitness industry has got that backwards. And it's getting really boring at yeah. this point. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's getting it's 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 taking this thing that we're talking about and it's giving me goosebumps and it's big concepts of like what do you want to get out of life mm -hmm. and it's reducing it down to you should really work out because it's good for you it's like mm -hmm. that's so boring yeah and i think it could be so much more and so a good question is hey what kind of results do you want to get out of this do you do you mm -hmm. want just the minimum mm -hmm. that everybody else in the world is going for or do you want the maximum mm -hmm. that fitness could provide for your life yeah and with these little experiences they seem so arbitrary and the truth is they are. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Mm -hmm. But for some reason, it, it seems to be absolutely necessary for us to come alongside someone as a guide and as a coach and to actually sweep them up in something that's way cooler to be a part of mm -hmm. than just thrusters right. and sit-ups. Well, it reminds me of a, it's really simply said by C.S. Lewis, but just to summarize everything you just went over, he says, if you reach for heaven, you get earth thrown in. Mm. If you reach for earth, you get neither. God, so good. And so you can think of reaching for earth as the, I just, I don't want to be fat. Mm -hmm. You can think of heaven as, I'm going to uh, summit a 14,000 foot peak after my surgery. Mm -hmm. That person that makes the summit loses weight. The person that's, I don't want to be fat, is living in a state that they're just not happy in and so they don't get either that's the interesting thing mm -hmm. is if you reach for heaven you get heaven and earth mm -hmm. if you reach for earth you don't get either that's the interesting part of that it really is and so it makes you want to like shift the perspective of not just wanting the bare minimum but you know reaching for something much greater that may not even be related like the the earth part is just a facet or a second thought mm -hmm. it's a byproduct yeah yeah and i look at my own life and i realize that you know being that successful i'll say it this way my kids aren't keeping score at how good i am at something mm -hmm. they don't care at all mm -hmm. but they do see me doing things they they do even at their young age they do grasp Oh, you know, dad's going to backcountry skiers. Like, oh, he, he goes to jujitsu, you know, three times a week, or mm -hmm. he's doing this. And so I, I think um, where the imposter syndrome creeps in is to say, well, if I'm not, if I'm not going to be good at this, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. But nobody cares. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we've determined with Masogi's is that it should be difficult enough that there's a high likelihood that you will not be successful. And that's the point. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's exactly the case that we want, and, and let's say this a different way, we want this to be audacious enough that the real reason we're doing it is that you have to evolve in a different person in order to even attempt it. Mm -hmm. But the success of that is totally obsolete yes exactly and i can think of some stuff where it's like 
I mean, honestly, I look at most of the stuff that I've done. I don't think I'm great at any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But just like you said, um, with the game your senior year, you kind of even forget about that. Yeah. But what sticks with you is the process right. and the, uh, to use a psychological term, the exposure therapy mm-hmm. to go into these different things. Yeah that does over decades of doing this expand who you are as a person. Yeah. And so you arrive, this is my hope you arrive at 60, you arrive at 80 and you look back and it's like, man, look at all these skills I accumulated. Look at how many experiences I was able to, to go through. And then, and I think this is, you know, getting a little philosophical, but it's the reason that we exist as human beings is to actually turn around and then help somebody else go through that. Mm-hmm. And not just in the profession of coaching, but just as a good human being. Hey, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to do this. I accumulated skills, and now I'm turning around, and I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. That seems like a pretty good working definition of why we're here on earth. Mm -hmm. And so transitioning from the the philosophy, the psychology of um, future authoring, aptitude, determining this specific masogi that you'll go through, let's finish by... Briefly just touching on more of the mathematics, more of the strength conditioning aspect of, hey, we've taken this thing, and now how do we make it where uh, it is figure outable, mm-hmm. right? We make it where it's like, okay, this thing that seems like overwhelming and 50% chance of failing, how do, we, how do we take something that's overwhelming and actually create action? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts there? Well, the first thought is to just start where they're at, right? If you have a, uh, like right now, I have a athlete preparing for a half Ironman um, that's later in the year. Um, they're doing their first sprint triathlon this weekend. Mm-hmm. So pretty much no experience. Um, and to meet that athlete where they're at is to just simply continue to introduce exposure to those three disciplines, swimming, running, and riding. Um, if you took an experienced triathlete, it takes a little more than just exposure. It takes specific metrics and paces and things like that. Mm-hmm. But also that athlete's not going through a Masogi if they're an experienced Oh, one, that's good. Right? Um, not to say they won't have an experience where they learn something, but they're probably more attached to a performance result than they are an experience. Um, so the whole point of this is to be, uh, exposed to something that you're uncertain of. And so meeting the athlete where they're at, um, is a great, great starting point. Yeah. And so what I hear you saying is like, uh, a slogan we didn't come up with, but you have to assess instead of guess. Mm -hmm. And so one, you know, you do have to determine what the Masogi is, and it has to be pretty specific. Mm-hmm. And so it can't just be like, ah, you know, I'm going to show up and go swim somewhere. It's like, no, whether it's an established event like a half Ironman or something that you make up, it's like, hey, this is the thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Last fall, we did 24 hours of riding the air bike. Like it was very clear what the parameters around that. So you know what it means to succeed and to fail. Mm-hmm. So that's an assumption. But then from there, you have to figure out, like, what's the gap? Mm-hmm. Like, if that's the thing I want to do, what's some way, and it doesn't have to be perfect, and I think that's a good thing to reiterate to coaches, like, you just have to come up with something. There's a million ways to assess, even just general physical preparedness. And you just pick something that makes sense to you, right? Mm-hmm. What I just heard you say is, like, in the example of swim, bike, and run, 
hey, we need to get some gauge of where you're currently at. Mm -hmm. So let's do something really short. Let's see where you're at. And then from that gap, what do we do? Mm -hmm. I think I think you need to leave a gap there. Mm. I think that's an important part. Um, I think my first intentional Masogi was doing a half Ironman. Mm -hmm. And... I intentionally didn't train any of the distances that I was going to have in the race. So up to that point in my life, I'd never run a half marathon. I'd never ridden 56 miles on a bike at one time. And I'd never swam. It's about 1,200 meters or something like mm -hmm. that. I'd never done that. And I intentionally left that gap there. So not only were each one of those three disciplines going to be a surprise to me, mm -hmm. But the combination of them all, like once I was at the three-hour mark, I was like, I've never exercise this long without stopping mm -hmm. here comes the fun yeah yeah that's a great point um and and to get more s specific and mathematical mm -hmm. with anything that we do and especially endurance-based activities like it's very rare that you're going to get to a point where you experience the whole thing before you do it mm -hmm. but we find that somewhere between like 60 to 80 percent of the the volume or distance or intensity mm -hmm is a good place to arrive towards. So as we're crafting this plan, if we say, hey, here's the distance that we want, here's the intensity that we want to experience, whatever the specifics of that event are, we're going to figure out, okay, what's what's about 80 to, you know, at a minimum, like 60% that they could experience. Mm -hmm. And then from there, that really determines the time frame that they have to work with, right? Mm -hmm. And based on where their starting point is, do they have any exposure, any experience mm -hmm. to this, tells us how far out we need to program, right? How far back we need to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I have another athlete who's preparing for, uh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but the it's a hike from Crested Butte to Aspen. Aspen. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what his hiking experience is. It's minimal, but um, something like that, you where it's like there is a there is a capacity that's needed for this to even be attempted, um, and so you can take some of the guesswork out of it within the training. Like I'm gonna have him wear his hiking boots when he comes to do, you know, the hero workout chat, and he's not even ready for that yet. You know, mm -hmm. it's gonna take some time to get to a thousand box step ups with mm -hmm. a 45 pound ruck. Um, but that's something we can progress him towards. And the reason I say that it's more appropriate to take out the guesswork in that one is because you're going to be in the wild where there's already going to be an uncertain amount of like, who knows what else is going on? What, what will the weather be like? How heavy will your pack be? Who's going to be with you? Someone could slow you down. So that success isn't actually completely dependent on the person's capacity in and of itself. So I think in that scenario, you might want to train more specifically for that intended, at least performance result. And I think it's a good thing to reiterate is that what we're talking about is competence yeah, and not performance dominance, right? Exactly, yeah. If we were talking about the guy that's a really tenured and experienced triathlete, this is a completely different realm that's really mm -hmm. not a, a part of this discussion. But we're talking about exposing people to things potentially that they've never done before. And so, you know, there's a ton of ways to break that down in strength conditioning. But I think having, having the lens on as a coach, you say, okay – for this thing that they're doing, what are some prerequisites of strength? Like for the example of the hike, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, there's some some postural uh, stability and there's certain poses that we'd want him to be really hardy with. Mm -hmm. And so there's a big component there where it's like, yeah, let's figure out 
how we might uh, allow Claude to be competent mm -hmm. with that. Um, I think there's, with most things that would fall into this category of Masogi, not all, but most, there is an endurance component. So mm -hmm. thinking about energy system requirement and, okay, if this hike is going to take this some odd hours, what are some ways that we could expose and create some competency around that thing? Mm -hmm. And then I think the third is just looking at the, uh, not just the the stability of those positions, but the the range of motion requirements, mm -hmm. um, especially if it's cyclical and there's something that they're going to be doing a lot. How do those joints move that we're going to be asking quite a bit of? And so for the coach that's listening to this, those are three uh, great buckets that we could take anything that, that our selves having experienced mm -hmm. and in a really uh, intelligent and, and logical manner say, okay, here are kind of the three buckets that we'll train for. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Can you think of any examples of things that somebody's asked you to program for that you've done that process of kind of reverse engineering and saying, hey, you know, I, I had... I had this thing that I'd never done before, but logically we were able to to prepare him for something like that. Yeah, well, that's actually the reason I did the half Iron Man is because cool. we had a bunch of people that signed up for it, and it was like, all right, here comes your Masogi, because you know maybe a couple of them had done it before, and they were kind of the leaders of the crew. But if I was going to program for it, I wanted to know it. I can't do that for everything that I'm going to train my athletes for, but it did give me more of an understanding when it came to like intra-workout fueling um, and just what your body's going to feel like when you're that far into something that you're really pushing yourself for. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it's, we, we can train anybody for anything. If you just reverse engineer it, what's the timeline, what's your current capacity that gives you an idea for their um, expectations. And I think as as coaches, we're a little reluctant because uh, we're afraid that, because of our lack of experience with this particular thing, who are we to, who are we to come up with some of these particulars? Mm -hmm. But it's no different than anything else. I mean, yeah. the the heuristics of strength conditioning are not infinite, mm -hmm. and so there's only so many ways that our bodies can move. There's only so many ways that we can use and produce ATP, and we already are pretty well in you know, acquainted with range of motion for the joints. And so mm -hmm. you can take these basic concepts and look at the requirements and do a little bit of research and go down a fun rabbit hole and say, hey, I'm not going to make you a world champ here, but we absolutely can do this yeah. and we can make this a really great experience for you. Yeah. And that could be just the the splash in the pond that opens that door to someone discovering that maybe they are capable of becoming a world champion at something they've never done before. But I want to make sure it's communicated that that is not the point of a Masogi. Great, great What we point. want to, like, if I go into a, um, a CrossFit competition, depending on what level it's at, I have very clear expectations of myself because I have all the data I need. Mm -hmm. I know where I'm at. I know where my competition's at. That's not a Masogi. Mm -hmm. There's still an experience to learn from it. But the whole point of this is not knowing. We want people to have to wrestle with more than just the physical demands. Yes. There's going to be a lot of questions, a lot of doubt, and that's the whole point of this. And I think we could have a whole other episode devoted to the psychology of this. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's whole 
there's whole protocols, dialectical behavior therapy, cognitive behavior therapy. Um, some people call it distress tolerance. Um, resiliency is a real high buzzword. Mm-hmm. But a whole other episode should be devoted to, hey, by doing these things and thinking about the, the psychological ramifications of this mm-hmm. actually allow us to be better humans and adults that has nothing to do with body fat. It has everything to do with mental health. Right. But I think you bring up a great point that we're we're trying these things on for size yeah. because it's in line with the person that we want to be. Yeah. But it's very easy to get carried away with that. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, like, yeah, I just did a triathlon, to say, oh, I'm now a triathlete. Yeah. And I think the the last thing we should touch on is just the transition out of those things mm-hmm. and this progress and and process rather of having these experiences and then moving on. Mm-hmm. And so what are some things that you could tell the coach and even the person that that's experiencing this on how to transition back into regular training, how to have these, uh, you know, in the same way that we have these waves and, you know, intense based training and deload, what advice could you give someone as far as like how to transition out of these experiences? Hmm. I would say as soon as the experience is over, that it should be reflected on whether that's through conversation um, or just kind of like a review with your coach after um, I'd really recommend writing it down. Hmm. Just, just put the whole story down mm-hmm. and just write it for yourself so that when you, reflect on it, you can go back and see those details. Like I told you before this, I have the story I wrote in December of 2002 that I like got up in front of my classmates in Spanish class and read them to it in tears. I'm not even kidding. I don't know why my Spanish teacher let me do that. (laughs) But I got up and was like, I'm so sorry we lost. (laughs) But I can actually go, I still have that document. It's 21 years old now. Um. So I think reflecting on it is really important. Also, we want to have these undulations and these seasons in life. Um, I think about the busy professional that took a couple weeks off to do this adventure and discover something about themselves and their potential, and that it's a relief to kind of come back in and just kind of have a season of like, hey, I'm just going to do my hour of training a day, and it's just because it's part of my life, let's get back into the routine. Mm-hmm. Um, or you might have the person that is just uh, an entrepreneur that has their own hours and is just like, all right, well, what's next? Take some time to reflect, recover, pick a new adventure and go. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, I love that. And, and there's um, research out there that talks about something called the stress cycle. And make no mistake, like these things that we're doing because there's high stakes and there's an unknown component and there's potential for failure, it is stressful. It's mm-hmm. biologically stressful and it's psychologically stressful and so to have this period of reflection especially where you trap it on paper and you write it down it allows you to close that loop it allows you to to use Viktor Frankl's words to ascribe some meaning to the thing that you Mm -hmm. just experienced because inevitably in these misogies and in these things that are arbitrary that we're training for there's going to be this five second moment where there's some type of beautiful clarity or revelation I remember your your story at the triathlon and, mm-hmm. you know, especially on the run where it's like, whoa, my body's never experienced this. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, and I think this is a great 
thing to remember for just life in general. We do hard things. We're exposed to stress. We have a lot of responsibilities, but very rarely do we take time to reflect and be like, man, I want to celebrate what Mm -hmm. I did there. Mm -hmm. I want to close this loop of stress and say, hey, everything's okay now. I'm not still in there. Right. We've had some experiences where, you know, one time in particular, we uh, took a group and we, we set out to mountaineer like a 14, 14er, but it was in winter conditions. And most of the people that were on this trip had never done anything like that before, myself included. And one guy got frostbite on his nose and there was some, there was some actually like traumatic things. Lost with, control. Yeah. Body function yeah. Stuff. And what I was so thankful for is after the fact, we were able to do this thing that we're talking about and, and kind of spin that is not something traumatic, but something that we were really thankful for, even though we weren't successful. Yeah, you didn't get to the peak. We didn't get to the peak. But that wasn't the point. I didn't care. But it ne- there needed to be a target. Yeah. Yeah, because without it, it's just it's it's impossible to know what the stakes are. It's impossible yeah. to know what uh, what it means to be successful. Yeah. And I think the important part of that is because you have stakes and you have a specific target, that's that's the target is having a target Mm -hmm. but the result is it's going to be just as beneficial if you succeed or fail Mm -hmm. either way you you've actually won so we're not attached to the actual success of reaching the target but knowing that it's there creates a clear depiction on and i'm almost averse to saying failure but did you reach the target or not Mm. hardly matters Mm -hmm. as long as you reached for it there's going to be something to learn along the way yeah because go back to my original story if i reached the target of cif championship in 2002 sure there's probably lessons to be learned there but are they going to be as powerful as if it played out the way it did Mm. i'd argue it's more powerful if you don't reach it Mm -hmm. well let's put a let's put a a nice bow on the end of this um our hope in having this conversation is that anybody's listening to this, it's, uh, it's inspirational, inspirational to the coach that, Hey, you know, this, this one sided way that I've been approaching this could be greater than what it once was. Mm-hmm. Even for the coach or the client, I hope that it inspires them to think, because I know as I hear conversations like this, it's like, man, I've thought about doing this or I've thought about doing this thing. Yeah. And when this episode is released, we're actually doing a, an online program. Mm-hmm. Six weeks, all of us are involved, uh, taking a, a, a cohort of coaches primarily, but it could also be people that just want to experience it um, from the client standpoint. And we're actually going to take them through this, whether you realize it or not, like six-step process of drafting who we are, crafting what our aptitude is, supercharging it by giving an actual tangible thing that we have to train for, Mm -hmm. and then more of the meat and potatoes of how we reverse engineer uh, any endeavor, how to train for it, and then how to reflect, how to assimilate back into regular training. Um, That's going to start June 5th. And so when you're listening to this, it, it may be close to being filled up. But if that is something that you're interested in, we want you to reach out. There's a specific link on here that we'll put for that. And anything you want to say before we close out? I'm excited to hear some ideas. 
I mean, if we just tell the world, they can come up with their own adventures. I'm excited to hear what they could be. And of all the topics, I'm endlessly entertained by this. Yeah. Like, if there's something that you'd want to rope Spencer into, it's this conversation right yeah. here. So e even if nothing else, just to share some of those things with us, I think would be really cool. Mm -hmm. Hey, man, I'm so thankful for you. What a treat. I'm so happy to be on here, and, and I look forward to, to all the ones that we'll do in the future. Me too, Spence. All right. All right.